Every haunted place has a story with a dark past. This is Ghost Encounters Podcast. Due to the graphic and violent nature of the things discussed on this episode, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, all you spooky people. <laughs> I scared you. No, I was just like, it was, I was getting excited. I was getting I hyped. I scared you. I was getting hyped. <laughs> Welcome back, all you spooky people, to the fifth episode of the first season of Ghost Encounters Podcast. I am paranormal investigator Justin Torok. I'm Eric Ledbetter, your haunted realtor. With us again is Jordan Balderson. Jordan, I think at this point you should just be a regular. How do you feel about that? I'd love to. All right, fantastic. It's settled. Fine. I mean, we do have some paperwork to do with HR. So, so the last episode was Cecil Hotel Part 1. We went we went through all the deaths and some of the stuff that happened with them. Uh, but there's a lot more with the Cecil that we needed to talk about. That's why I feel like we needed to split this into two parts. Because we didn't even get into the serial killers. We didn't get into the autopsy report of Elisa Lamb. There's a lot more that we could talk about. Alright, so I thought we'd start off by uh, kind of recapping... Uh, what happened to Lisa Lamb a little bit. And then we actually have a printout of the autopsy report. And we're going to kind of go through things that kind of don't add up or don't make sense or things that we read through and pointed out that they didn't point out themselves, which I thought was kind of odd. So let's do a brief recap of what happened with Lisa Lamb. She was an Asian-Canadian student traveling by herself. She was in Los Angeles staying at the Cecil Hotel. Uh, there's some elevator footage of her pressing some buttons. The doors never close. She acts all weird, does some things with her hands. And then they, she goes missing, and they end up finding her how many days later? Um, 19? 19, yeah. 19 days later, floating, in the, floating naked and dead in the hotel's water supply. So people who were staying there were drinking and bathing in water that had a decomposing body in it. Which is absolutely disgusting. Yeah. But it's no one knows how she got up there or why or, you know, it, there's no sense of foul play. But, yes, yeah, she was on bipolar medication, but she had to get to the roof, which should have been locked and had an alarm, climb a ladder to get up a 10-foot-tall water supply tank, open the hatch, take her clothes off, jump in and kill herself by drowning, which is very odd. And the whole elevator footage, which, which we went over last time, the link is um, in the last episode... Uh, where she's kind of, she presses the middle buttons and then she's kind of like peering out of the elevator Then she gets out and then she kind of looks a little frantic. She presses all the buttons. The elevator doors don't close the whole time, which is yeah. weird to me. And she kind of starts waving her hands all weird, almost like she's talking to someone. And then finally she steps out of frame and we never see her ever again. So it's very weird the way she dies, very mysterious. On the last episode, we talked about how many people killed themselves or killed others in this hotel, which... You know, the amount of people dying in this place is absolutely insane for any one place to have this many deaths, especially gruesome ones. Well, I think so, we talked about, I think we talked about the last episode that there was over 80. There's like over 80 right, cause confirmed you, cause deaths. Right, because you said you watched the Netflix documentary right, and the right. owner of hotel said there was even more. The manager, yeah. And it was crazy because like, you know, the, the crazy ones that happened, but you don't take into account all the ones that didn't make the news. Like people that died of natural causes or people that took their own lives and it just like they were homeless or, you know, because it was kind of a hotel for wayward people at some point. And like a lot of people just happened to die, whether it was drug overdoses or they committed suicide and just was never really recorded. So it just is a really dark hotel. It is. And like I said before, some people speculate that there is something in this hotel that's almost like a portal to another dimension or has 
this connection with demons that make people kill themselves or it's just for some reason literally a dark place with this shadow overhead that causes people to kill themselves or do horrible acts you know I mean there must be a reason why two serial killers were attracted to this place and stayed there and we'll get into that in a little bit but it's just very weird the amount of deaths and the amount of gruesomeness that this hotel has had in the last couple decades uh, well what else, what I thought was weird too and I, and I correct me if I'm wrong and we might have said this last time but I think this was the first documented suicide ever like 1927 first documented suicide ever in history ever ever like I mean I, I'm sure there's suicides that have happened but and you can fact check me maybe later but I know that when I was reading on it I remember thinking that and I think that that's significant to the kind of what happened the trajectory of that hotel like if it's true that that was the I'm sure it's not the first suicide, but maybe the first recorded one. Right, because, I mean, it was 1927. That right. Was the first death in the hotel was a suicide. Right. So maybe that kind of, like, spearheaded all this craziness. Yeah. I don't know. That could have been. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, something definitely evil and dark is in and around that hotel. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's it, for anyone who's a skeptic listening, I mean, how can one building contain so much death? Yeah. And so much mysterious death. Right. You know, like, serial killers, the Black Dahlia, Elisa Lamb, you know, the whole thing with Skid Row and the TV stuff that yeah. we talked about last time. It's, like, super cursed. Maybe it we is. don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Try it out for size. Yeah. <laughs> Pass. So as I'm editing this, I thought, wait, did we just capture a fourth voice? It's only the three of us in the room. And there's another voice that says, Pass in a voice that isn't ours, and over us laughing. Did we just capture an EVP during our podcast session? Listen to it again. Try it out for size. (laughs) Pass. Try it out for size. (laughs) Pass. Try it out for size. (laughs) Pass. Um, So let's let's look at this autopsy report of Elisa Lam. I know a couple things stood out to me. And... The first thing I'm going to point out is people are saying that Elise Lamb had a manic episode because she was on bipolar medication and they found alcohol in her system. They did find alcohol in her bile. And looking at the autopsy report, they found 0.02 grams percent of alcohol in her bile. We checked the charts. We looked at her body weight compared to that amount. And that is only equivalent to half a beer. So it's not like she was slugging back shots of tequila. Sorry. It's equivalent to half a beer. So let me be skeptic slash on the other side of things. And, you know, obviously none of us are doctors. I think Jordan's probably the closest to it. But <laughs> none of us are doctors. I would say if you found somebody after 19 days, could the amount of alcohol in her bile that they found be less because it was such a long period of time, number one. And number two, I mean, she was 120 pounds and on medication. So when you drink a half a beer and you're on medications for a bipolar disorder, it does have a different effect on your body than somebody who's not on medication. Maybe. True. true. So I think that's, that's the, kind of like the other side to look at too. I mean, I looking at the footage, there's definitely something really, really strange. Like a half a beer wouldn't really do that to anybody, in my opinion. Right. But I just want to say, for the people that are rolling their eyes, thinking like, yeah, come on, she but, might have been doing something. But she gets strange, like, halfway into the video, when she starts waving her arms. She right. doesn't act like that right away. Which is, you know, if she was in a manic episode, it would just be immediate that, okay, well, she's 
like you know she's acting all insane right you know but it's not right away she kind of looks a little scared at first and then it looks like she's almost talking to someone but people think that she's just manic the way she's moving her hands but we're never gonna know right we can only speculate based on the evidence that we have and the evidence that we have is in the autopsy report which there are some weird things in there, but I mean, that's the amount of alcohol they found in a vial. I don't know if that means that that has decreased from 19 days. It doesn't say that in the autopsy report. It just says the amount that they found. I don't know how her specific medication can act with half a beer. Has she ever drank it before? We don't know. You know, these are just answers that we don't have, but we can only make speculations. But I just, personally, I don't think that half a beer is going to make you do something that insane. Yeah, I mean, Even if, any, medication. if anybody's out there and they know the answer to that, leave comments for us and we're happy to research it or yes. look it up, I think. Or if you know um, better than we do, which probably is a lot of people, <laughs> you know, let, it, let us know because we're curious to know. Um, so let's take a look at some other things. Here's something that I found that was kind of odd and they don't mention it ever again. This is a, I'm reading straight from the autopsy report. There is a reason there is a listener discretion at the beginning of this because there are some words that might be uncomfortable for some people. But here we go. The anus is edematous and shows pulling of blood in the subcutaneous tissue surrounding the orifice. So basically what that means is the deepest layer of tissue is swelling with blood. The only, from, what, from my research, the only way that can happen is if there's some kind of trauma. So that means there's some kind of trauma with her anus. Can this happen just by being in a water tank? Personally, I don't see how. How is how is blood being pulled into the deepest layer of tissue? But they don't mention it anywhere else. They don't mention anything about it, any other... But trauma has taken place in her anus. Right. But doesn't it, if you keep going, it says that there's no edema? Didn't you just say that? The extremities show no edema. So, so if there's no edema anywhere else, why is it in that specific area? Right. There's no edema anywhere else, just in her anus. Well, and there's also no joint deformity. There's no abnormal mobility. So it doesn't look like anything's broken. Anything's traumatized. Right. Nobody, there's no there's bruising. No, yeah. There's no punctures, no needle right. tracks, right. you know, nothing that shows any sign of taking those kind of kinds of drugs that would show that. But there's some kind of trauma with her anus. They don't mention it ever again. Right. So it's weird because you would think like, okay, something definitely happened. Either one of two things happened. There was some sort of trauma in that area or something happened with sitting in the water for 19 days that we don't know about. But what's even stranger is that the autopsy report mentions nothing again. No, that's about the that. only time they mention it. Yeah, isn't so that on around. page two? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Right on page two of the autopsy report. Let's skip ahead here. This is about, next pages are about them you know, cutting her open. There's no trauma with her mouth. You know, there's typical late post modem softening and discoloration. That stuff's normal. It, they go through the, ur the urinary system, the gastrointestinal system, and it looks like everything else is somewhat normal besides being in water and decomposing. You know, her genital system is fine besides porous modem discoloration. Yeah, they talk but, about her vagina being um, perfectly normal. There's no, there's no lacerations or trauma to that area at all. Correct. But there's not a section on here about her anus besides what we saw like there's not everything else has a separate section on here there's, there's no section about her anus and that's the only thing that we see about it so here's another thing that's weird cause of death they have natural suicide homicide accident and could not be determined and it looks like could not be determined was 
Marked off first. No. Accident wasn't marked off first. 6-15-13. And then could not be determined with 6 Yeah, but it says error. So I think they're saying that error know. was made and they fixed up. Yeah, I don't know. It looks to me it's like very, that's... It's very strange. So here's what they have. Accident is X'd off for 6 But they also have could not be determined X'd off, but then scribbled out saying error... 6, 18, 13. So it's very strange. I know the final result was that they classified this as an accidental death, but could not be determined was crossed off at some point. Yeah, and it's it's kind of oddly written, too, because it said, how did the injury occur? And it says, in hotel water tank. So what injury? Is that the death, or is that other things to her body? I mean, if you look at... The one page we were looking at before, where it shows that she had a lot of splotches all over her skin, probably from decomposition and being in water. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're talking about that, or maybe they're actually talking about... I mean, we're not yeah. autopsy experts, but we're just reading to you, word for word, what it says on here. And here's another thing that's weird. Uh, there's a box that says toxicology requests. There's things that you can check for, right? Alcohol, carbon monoxide, other... They didn't cross anything off. There's just a line that says limited blood. So does she have a limited amount of blood in her body from... I don't know. ...something going on? Maybe. That, to me, that's very strange, too. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting when you look through these autopsy reports because, you know, I don't you know I don't claim to be, again, a doctor, but it seems like in something this strange, there would be more notes or more yeah. information about it that would be consistent. And maybe there is more out there. We're just not seeing it, but there's certainly... Um, it does seem strange. And in the uh, witness statements, her sister gave information that she had a history of depression and bipolar disorder, and she listed off the medications that she was taking, but also said she has never had any suicidal indications or known prior attempts. Well, I think we talked also last time about her blog, and in her blog it says, she writes, I haven't, I don't feel the need to hurt myself. I think she's just feeling like sad and alone and kind of like you know, adolescent-y kind of stuff. Right, normal things for someone who's suffering from bipolar disorder. Well, also being young, too, yeah. Depression. So I don't know if you guys looked at this, too, but there's, like, um, there's two pages that talk about the drugs that either she was on or they found in her body um, from where she was. And, I mean, a lot of it is stuff that I don't even know what it is. There's sinus tabs. There's Advil. um, There's... Well, butrin, which is obviously an antidepressant. Um, I think the ones that we don't know are the bipolar medications. Bipolar medications, yeah. So, I mean, definitely she was on one, two, three, four, five, six medications that I certainly don't know what they are. And then maybe uh, a sinus medication, an Advil medication. So eight, eight things in her body that she was taking. So I do think that there was probably something to do with what was going on with her bipolar disorder, but, I mean, still, I don't know if that's enough to get the reaction she got from that whole elevator thing. Here, this is the one I was looking for. That shows the stuff that was actually present and stuff, which is, like, barely anything, which I thought was pretty neat to look at. Okay, so if you're looking at the the bile, the specimens, they did a specimen of her, of her bile, which showed the 0.02 grams percent of alcohol. Right, of alcohol. And then they showed, they did a specimen of her blood and heart, and it shows 
the only presence of, um, and I don't know how to say this, bupropyrin, which might be the ibuprofen, the Advil that she was taking. Yes. And the venlafaxine, which I don't know what that is, but I'm assuming that might be a bipolar, but we can look it up. Um, so those are the only two things that were in her body. Like there's no fentanyl, there's no marijuana, there's no drugs, there's no nothing else, which I think is interesting. Um, and then they found the same in her liver. So very little drugs in her body, which leads me to believe that like some of the things that we researched, that she had stopped her medications or she was not consistent with her medications. So she wasn't on a crazy amount of stuff at the time she died. Yeah. I right. looked this one up before. This is an antidepressant for and a nerve pain medication. Because then they were trying to say stuff about being on those kinds of nerve like pain mm-hmm. like meds. If you're on nerve pain medication, how does that affect any outcome? Right. And it seems to be little. So it's like, it's just crazy. There's not a lot in her body at the time they found her. It's weird. There's, there's a lot of dates that are being crossed out. The whole thing with the accident could not be determined. Then we have on this on the medical report page final on it said six eighteen thirteen, but then it was crossed off to say six nineteen thirteen. And then we have page thirteen evidence, and it says revised three twenty five. There, there. Well, actually, it says revised three twenty two. Then it's crossed off and it says revised three twenty five. So it looks like the original report was on 322 and then they added or modified stuff right on 325 but if you look at this that's almost six if 619 is a final that's a long that's time three months. they were yeah from the revised but they found her body on what date the february 19th so if they found their body on february 19th they didn't do the autopsy until the end of march or did they do it in july no June? it looks like i have a date up here that says 221 oh okay 221 that's when they started it they looks like oh, we're finalizing their uh, evidence on 322. Then it's crossed off to say 325. Then everything all together, it says final on 618, crossed off to say 619. So they were looking at her body for quite a few months. What did you just say, Jordan? Four months. I wrote that down for the last podcast. It took them four months. Wow. Four months. That seems crazy. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's one other thing that I wanted to point out. Where's that page that says, like, two different people? Oh. Here, here's... What was weird? Investigator. It says Kelly Y. Angle Learner. Then it's crossed off to say just D. Bartone. Mm-hmm. No first name. So what's going on with this investigator? Why is this investigator being crossed off with someone else's just first initial last name? No. It's. A, it seems like. I mean, I understand this. It seems was, like a sloppy autopsy report. It does. Yeah. And I understand this was a very strange case, but it looks very sloppy and not well put together. And it looks like. Too many things are crossed off. It's weird. So I know conspiracy theorists will look at this and say, oh, well, there's definitely conspiracy going on. Someone else was involved. Probably the government. Is that what's going on? Or was this just a too complicated of a case? I mean, how complicated can it be? I mean, I'm pretty sure, not to be gruesome, but if someone was cut up into pieces or their head was smashed, I think that would be a little bit more complicated of an autopsy report versus a girl found in a water tank. Well, and you have to look at all the other things, too, like... The two guys that dropped off the books to her that came in but then weren't seen again on video. The splice video of her in the elevator. You know, there's just so many unanswered things with her. And, you know, I think when we look at the basics of it, there was this young girl that was traveling that had a very, very strange 
reaction to something. So something, whether it was real or not, was very real to her. Right. That was going on. And was there foul play? There's no signs of it. I mean, in the doctor's defense, it's good to have a second opinion, to have somebody else to come and look at it. I mean, especially me working in the medical field, you definitely want somebody else to back you up and everything like that. But to have more than one person back you up, things are going to change. Their outlook on what they're looking at is going to change. And then that changes results. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like any doctor. If you go to one doctor for an ailment, they might tell you you have one thing. You go to doctor for some, you know, for the same ailment. They they could tell you it's something different. I think it really is the based on research, but also the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The opinion, the subjective opinion of that doctor that's looking at her, or the the researcher that's looking at her. Again, like you said, I don't think we're ever going to know. But you know, it's so strange what happened to her. Yeah. I mean, like the unusual it and is. just it just was like a crazy timeline of events and I feel bad that she was tortured in the way that she was and then died. We're never going to know a definitive answer of what happened we can only speculate and look at evidence that we're given but we're never going to know the final answer and it's sad because I wish we could because it's sad what happened to her but at this point in time we're never going to know what actually occurred that day. Mm-hmm. Let's put this autopsy report away. One thing we didn't get into last time uh, was the fact that two serial killers stayed at the Cecil Hotel. That we know of. That we know of. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. There could have been more, and we just developed... There's two 100% that we know of. No, in this freaking hotel, there was probably 10. So the first known serial killer to say the Caesar Hotel was actually Richard Ramirez. We talked about Richard Ramirez in a previous episode when we were talking about Ramirez and uh, Manson. And, uh, yeah, Ramirez actually stayed at the Caesar Hotel. It doesn't say that he killed anyone in the hotel, but he was a long-term resident. How long did he stay there, Jordan? A month and a half. A month and a half. Yeah. So he was one of those long-term resident kind of people. I mean, he was always bouncing around from place to place. And it yeah. just makes sense that someone as dark as him would kind of use the Cecil Hotel as a long-term residence. Well, we know that he didn't have a job, and all he did was steal from the people he killed. So, you know, when you walk into a hotel and you see that it's $14 a night, you're going to yeah. stay there. It's a, no, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah, at that time, the Cecil Hotel was mainly for... Low-income people looking for just a place to stay. It wasn't a good place at the time. I mean, it never really was a good place, I would say, but it was a little more run down back then. But one story that Jordan, you were telling me about, I seemed pretty wild. Um, you told me that he, you told me that after killing someone, he dumped his clothes oh, in the yeah. dumpster, his bloody clothes in the dumpster, and then just walked through the hotel in nothing but his unders. Yeah. yeah. Who did he, who did he kill when he did that? I have no idea. I don't know if they know themselves. I know that he did kill before, during, and after he was at the Cecil. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he walked in, he committed a murder, was covered in blood, took his clothes off in the alley, burnt them, went in, and then just Oh, he walked burnt through. them. He didn't yeah. throw them in the dumpster. He burnt yeah, them. I think they were burnt. Bur- burnt? How did they know that? <laughs> How did they know that he like, did I don't all that know, stuff? Is it on I video read, or is it like... I don't know. I read it in a couple different ways. Like I read it was dumped. I read it because obviously if you're going to see bloody clothing, somebody's going to do something with they're not just going to leave it there. Well, unless it's the Cecil Hotel. Well, that's true. In next to Skid Row, you never know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then there was other people that said it was, he burned his clothes. You know, whatever he said, she said. Right. But it, we know for a fact that he dumped bloody clothes somewhere, yep. did something with it, and walked through the hotel in nothing but his unders. Yep. And no one stopped him. No one said anything. Like, it was almost just, oh, here's a regular day at the Cecil. Yep, Someone walking Cecil. around almost naked. Yep. Well, there was also the one story, remember, of the woman that was, like, kind of hysteric walking through the yeah. hall screaming? 
So it's like that hotel is known for having psychopaths kind of do stuff like that, and maybe that's just was normal behavior. Right. And the people that were murdered, I mean, they must have screamed. Yeah. No one heard anyone. Let me add that he also stayed on the top floor. He was near the top floor, right? He was on the top floor. On, the top. on the top floor. Yeah. Oh, wow. Hmm. I did not know that. And the other people that killed themselves, like the guy who shot himself. No one heard a gunshot? Yeah. I mean, you're in hotel rooms. They're, you know, they're not soundproof rooms. There's a bunch of people staying there. It's not like you're separated by floors. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to look at the time frame, or the, the period of time that the people stayed there. I imagine, like, in the 20s and 30s and even 40s, that stuff might have go- gone more ignored. Because, you know, like, social media now is crazy. Like, yeah. something happens, you hear a fly flying and people post it, you know. <laughs> but back then, it just was kind of like, mind your own business, whatever. I mean, there's lots of stories back then about people, you know, being um, beaten up in the streets and nobody reporting it. Yeah. And, like, people watching it. Stuff like that. So right. Kind of a mind your own business kind of... Right, right. And then as, like, Ramirez got there, where it was Skid Row time there was probably lots of strange things happening, lots of homeless people, lots of drugs. So seeing somebody walk around in their underwear, you know, looking crazy was probably like, all right, that's normal. normal. Yeah. Yeah. In today's day and age, it's insane. Like, cause you know, if someone heard a loud noise, or a gunshot, someone would say something. Yeah, sure. You know, well, look if at everybody became investigators during this Gabby, whatever her last name is thing. Everybody's yeah. on that. There's people out looking for her right now. Right. We're looking for him right now. Looking for him. Yeah. Right. So people people solved that case. So it's natural. It reminded me honestly of Ramirez because the people took Ramirez down, and that's exactly what I hope happens to that kid that killed Gabby. Right. Uh, what else did Ramirez do while he stayed here? I mean, so he killed before, he killed after he stayed there, he killed probably during he stayed there. Yeah. You know, um, I think there's uh, reports that he drew pentagrams all over his room. Yeah, that is the thing. I think there is one still there, like, today. Like, I think you can still find a couple of his pentagrams. What? Wow. Yeah. Now I really want to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah now I really want right? to go. I, I think you that. can still find them. I know. He I probably remember... wrote them in the bathrooms because they had their little dorm bathrooms. Bathroom. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know there is one, one picture online that when we were doing the research for the last one came up. You know, and right. you could see it, like, above the bed or something, like, yeah. near the bed. Yeah. yeah. I know uh, Zach Baggins went there with Ghost Adventures, and he actually brought pictures that Ramirez drew to the room that Ramirez stayed at. I want to know how the hell he got those yeah. pictures. I don't know how he gets or how some much of the he things he gets. Him. You probably don't want to know. <laughs> but I don't know how he gets some of the things that he gets. It's it's insane. But I thought that was pretty cool that he brought that stuff there. Yeah. Um, wasn't there an EVP that said your mom? Yeah, because he was, he was like, inter- like not interrogating. What do I want to say? Ramirez was kind of like taunting Zach. Yeah, taunting. Yeah. You know? It was very, it was very interesting, and that's definitely something that Ramirez would say. Yeah, your mama. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. But Ramirez wasn't the only serial killer that we know of. There's also after Ramirez, there's a guy named uh, Jack Unterweger. He was from Austria, right? Yeah. Okay, and I'm pretty sure he was killing people overseas before right. he came here. Well, he killed somebody. And he, I think she was 18. Killed her. Then he went to prison for 15 years. Oh, wow. But then they let him out of prison. So he was, Saying quote, that he unquote, reformed. Reformed. Yeah. Right. And then, didn't you tell me that there was more killings, like in Germany and like other Yeah, places? I have it. I, in my reading and like my research, I saw um, Germany, Austria, Czechoslovakia, and then later the United States. So he was killing people overseas, 
decides to come here, stays at the Cecil. So a serial killer's first stop, so, Cecil Hotel. Yeah, so he actually <laughs> went, Yeah, when he was in prison, he wrote an autobiography. And he that's how he got, like, people heard about him and wanted to, you know, help him out. So then they thought he was writing, like, the greatest thing since sliced bread. My opinion, it's probably all shit. So he was claiming he was yeah. coming here to write. He, yeah, that's what he, yeah, he was coming over here to do, um, like, a crime journal, like, okay. doing, like, research, and he actually was ballsy enough to go sit with the police, have the police show him, like, the red light district, and then that's later where he started killing. Right, so he was killing prostitutes by strangling them with their own bra. Which is exactly how he killed the people overseas. And what the, the crazy part of it is that he was able to convince police officers to say, I'm reformed. And I'm writing a crime journal on people like yeah. me about serial killers where they led him to where there are prostitutes so that he could kill them. Which is, to me, like next level serial killer. That is next level. <laughs> I mean, that is some mind game yeah. right there. Yeah. That's crazy. I hate him. So he was he was eventually caught I here. think he's stupid. He's so stupid. Like, who, like, you literally profiled yourself in that case. Right. You're killing people the same exact way every single time. Same kind of people the same exact way yeah, every single he, time. I think Ramirez just enjoyed killing. I don't think Ramirez gave a crap what he used or how he did it. That's yeah. why. That's, that's why we were saying it's so it was so hard to track Ramirez because he yeah. was, there was no profile. He was all over the place. But I think with killers like Unterweger, they have this need, right? Yeah. If they don't do this thing, they will literally go insane. They have it's like an itch. They have to kill people a certain way. We know that because we've studied serial killers before. Yeah. And there's a lot of serial killers that love to do specific things to people. Yep. And that's how they get profiled and caught. And Uta Vega was one of them. Did he get caught here or was he in another, in another state? Like, did He, he got caught here. He yeah. got caught by the U.S. Marshals in Miami. In Miami. So he did his killings in he L.A. Killed, and then went to yeah, Florida. He, he um, murdered people in L.A. And then when he left the Cecil, he still continued to kill people. But he was, like, living with friends and stuff like that, just bouncing around. And then eventually they caught up with him. Like, he knew that they were coming for him. Like, they made it... Like, they put him on a list. Like, they, right. he knew. Um, but then, after he got charged... I think he was convicted in 1994. That could be wrong. Maybe it's 93. I'm not sure. Um, he actually killed himself. He committed suicide before he even... So they caught him. He kills himself in prison. Yeah. Right. And he killed himself tying the same knots that he used to kill people Ugh, with. Crazy. <laughs> I think the wow. interesting thing about the two, if you kind of compare them, there's a lot of Ramirez history, child trauma, abuse from parents, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then you look at Unterweger and it's more um, cunning, like witty yeah. stuff, you know? That I mean, I don't know his childhood, so there could be similarities really there. But like, it's just really weird to see the two different kind of aspects of those yeah. guys. Two serial killers staying in the same place, but very different kinds of killing. Yeah, very yeah. different personality and styles. Yeah, very very different. So is he in prison here or overseas? Uh, like overseas. Over, so he took him back over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And then that's where he killed himself. Yeah. Interesting. We're gonna take a little break, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Ghost Encounters Podcast is sponsored by the Eric Ledbetter team with Iron Valley Real Estate. Contact the Eric Ledbetter team for all your real estate needs. Visit theericledbetterteam.com. Also sponsored by Phoenix Fire Media. Bring the heat to your competition with expert marketing, photography, and video production. Visit phoenixfiremedia.com. 
If you are enjoying the Ghost Encounters podcast, hit subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ghost Encounters PA. That's at Ghost Encounters PA. To watch the Ghost Encounters show, visit ghost-encounters.com. Okay, we're back, everybody. Uh, we kind of finished everything that we wanted to talk about at the CISO Hotel. Very strange place. So many deaths. Crazy. Serial killers. Mysteries. All kinds of strange things. I mean, it's if you start researching this yourself, whoever's listening, I mean, you can spend hours looking at everything and reading everything. There's pictures and videos and all kinds of stuff. It's There's so much there. There are many other hotels that are associated with death. I mean, there's the Stanley Hotel, which we know is haunted, based off of Stephen King's The Shining. Um, there's, which one were you talking about in New York? The Chelsea Hotel. Chelsea Hotel. There's the, the building that H.H. Holmes built. Um, there's even one right in our backyard. Uh, so we, for those of you who don't know where we are, we're in the Greater Lehigh Valley, and it's kind of like a middle sector in between New York and Philadelphia. And in Sailorsburg, there's this haunted house that's called Hotel Horror, and it's in an actual 100, 200-year-old building. And it used to be called the Lake House Inn. And the Lake House Inn was hotel, tavern. It was a basic place for something of, you know, the 1800s. But when the stock market crashed, people from New York flooded down here, and the Lake House Inn became known as the Hotel to Hang Yourself. What? Yeah. I don't know this place, so I'm very interested. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a crazy story if you read up on it. So there's a lot of hotels out there that have death associated with them, especially older ones. But it just amazes me how the CISA Hotel has 10, 20, 30, 50 times the amount than that other places do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's insane. And yeah. some of these places that I mentioned, we can kind of get into in more detail in other episodes. But another hotel-like place... Um, that I've actually been to and Jordan's actually been to was the Weaversville Inn. Jordan, her twin sister, uh, someone I went to school with and myself, we investigated uh, the Weaversville Inn and that place was very dark too. I mean, it's it's strange. You go in there during the day and it's like, oh, it's just, it's an old building that's now a restaurant and there's some rooms upstairs but the actual story is a lot darker than that and the things we experienced there were... Very, how would you say, Jordan? Me? Yeah. I would say scary. <laughs> because I don't mess around with shit I can't see. So <laughs> when I'm walking through a place in the dark and weird shit's happening, I, I, I think was scared. <laughs> at the Weirsville Inn was the place where the scariest thing actually ever happened to me. And I will admit that, even though there's a lot of places I've been to. But remember the bang on that bottom basement yes. door? Yeah. That's I what mean, I was literally saying right before we started this part. We all jumped. I mean, it was it was a loud bang on that door. We're we're gonna we'll get into that in another episode. Why don't we actually go into that next episode? Yeah, we'll transition this whole hotel thing. We'll talk about the Weaversville Inn and the place that we were both at, and we'll throw in some EVPs and audio clips and share with our experience. Eric, why don't you do some research on Weaversville Inn? I'm going to. Have I'm you excited. ever heard of it? Yeah, of course. If I'm not mistaken, several years ago it was for sale. It was, yeah. and my company, Homespot Media, actually shot the photos for the listing. Right. So I actually, really? ended, I actually ended up going back to the Weaver's Berlin. Oh no! For a different reason, I actually ended up uh, going back in that basement. That was a once and um, done for me. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's just crazy how everything comes for full circle in your life sometimes. Did you get anything weird when you were that back there doing your like, day job? Or did you just... No. It was the same, like, weird sense in that building that someone's watching you. Yeah. And in the base, the basement's different because you just, you feel heaviness. Yeah. The air almost feels thick. Yeah. It almost feels like something's weighing you down. Yeah. In the basement. It's mm. very odd. You feel, you feel tired and, and drained. It's, it's definitely a feeling that you don't know that you've never experienced before unless you've experienced some kind of you know, high paranormal place. You know, it's funny because if you, um, you know, I show a lot of houses and you can walk in to a house and there's a definite feeling that you get that is like that heaviness. It's like there's somebody over your shoulder. You feel like you just kind of have to like yeah. jump a little bit or like somebody's going to touch you on the back. You kind of look over your shoulder, especially if the house is older or vacant or it just has a hollow feeling that I know that you're describing because I felt that you know probably 10 times in my career it's crazy right. I remember that one story you're telling us how um, when your clients wanted a, more information about the ha- this house and there was the, the plywood like covering up I know part of the floor and the wall because yeah. someone what, the, oh, yeah, what happened the- with that story again the, um, there was a woman living in a house and she took in a boyfriend who happened to be homeless he murdered her and he chopped her up and he put her in different parts of the house. So part of her was in the flooring and part of her was in the wall. And when they found her, you know, obviously they had to, re- she was in garbage bags, they had to remove her and they just cleaned it out, but then they replaced the holes in the wall with plywood. So when we went to show the house, you could see the cutouts with the plywood on it. That reminds me of, um, there was like this guy that had a standoff with the police and he cut up his, I don't know if it was his wife or his girlfriend, but that's like right down by my house. And there was, like, a big hole in, like, even, like, the top of the house, like, the um, roof Mm -hmm. and everything where, like, he just, like, was shooting stuff off. I know that we were all sitting out there watching him get arrested. We didn't know that he was fully loaded and ready to shoot everybody outside, but... We didn't know that there was... Yeah. We didn't know that there was a dead body with its head Yeah, because then they didn't know that she was dead until he... I'm pretty... I don't know if he killed himself. I don't know what happened to him, but once he was gone, then they found her. She was, like, in, like, the sewer system. Oh, my God. So he really dispersed her body. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just goes to show you that you never know who your neighbor is, and you never know if your neighbor has body parts in their ceiling or their wall. And I'm pretty sure the family lives there now. What? I'm pretty sure the family moved in. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to live there. My sister was, like, cut up and butchered. No, I wouldn't be able to either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's odd. Well, I know that it was for sale for a little bit, and then nothing ever happened to it. Typically, those houses get flipped. So, like, some investor will buy it and, like, gut the entire thing, redo the whole thing. And then, I think, for resale purposes, it feels better for somebody to come in. So, you know, I mean, that That makes sense. sense. What's the real estate law? I know we touched this a little bit, but if something like that happened in a house, the value of it is decreased. How long do you have for that to go away? What happens with rules of disclosing that? Like, It's crazy because, it, you know, after we did, we had an episode where we talked about that a little bit and I had some friends that listened to it and everybody gives you a different answer. So I would have to get you the right answer to that because what I understood was that you do have to disclose it if there's a suicide or a murder in the property, um, especially if you're the owner. So you have a, a family member that commits suicide somewhere in the house. You need to tell that to people. What I'm being told by other people is that you do not. So I think it's probably a good topic for us to research a little bit because I think it's interesting. And I think it also depends on the different state jurisdictions and some of the um, associations too. Each state association is going to have different rules about it. What I was told, because 
I have the company HomeSpot Media does you know marketing and photography for real estate agents, as you know, because you're one of my clients. Yay! My best client. No. But uh, what someone else had told me that it only needs to be disclosed if it's public knowledge, like in the headline of a newspaper. Yeah, and that was the other thing they said to me. The same thing you said. I had people say that to me too. I also had people say to me that you don't have to do it if it's the second time. So like you sell it, a sh- it goes to share sale foreclosure, and then it's sold again, then you don't have to do it. So there's, there's some discrepancy that I will definitely find right. out for next I time. I think there's even cool. some states that you have to disclose if a house is haunted. Some states actually really? recognize that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I would so, like to know that. Yeah. So how about <laughs> before we get into Weaversville in on the next episode, do some research. I'm all over it. Yeah. And ask. I know you know the right people to ask the questions to. Um, I'm, and I'm pretty sure not too long ago, uh, GLVR was having a class on those kinds of houses. Yeah. Um, they're, they're called stigmatized houses. Stigmatized houses. Yeah. And one of the sections of that class was actually about hauntings right stuff like that exactly yeah so, no i'll definitely do some research for you guys and bring that it stuff is recognized yes yeah, cool you know and uh so yeah if you can give us that information i'm curious to know yeah, i'm sure too. every again i'm sure every state's different um but it'd be nice to know like which states do you have to disclose it and stuff like yeah. that you got it on the seller's disclosure is there a section for was there a death here no no there's not that's interesting yeah there's not do you one. think that like if it was a rule to disclose it you think it would kind of be in that section. Right. I'm sure I, that's kind of a sensitive topic, especially if it was a family member or yeah. something. But I feel like, I mean, if, if I was buying a house, I mean, I did buy a house, but I'm, I would like to know if something like that happened. Well, I think also, too, you have to remember that a lot of people die natural causes in their own homes. That's true. So, and, you know, a lot of generations live in the house. How far do you go back? Do you disclose if grandma died in the rocking chair in the living room or in her bed, you know, of just like a heart attack or something? So there's so much of that that I think it gets into, could that then be considered a stigmatized property if you believe in ghosts then maybe if you don't believe in ghosts you know so i think that's why they don't have it on there i mean i'm not 100 percent sure but that's my guess well next time how about makes sense give you us the it. answers I'll do yeah my best, you'll guys. find it yeah. i'm looking forward to it yeah me too i want to know like the hard like yes or no yeah know, answers to those questions <laughs> maybe pissed a little bit just to figure out <laughs> i could move into a house that's haunted <laughs> um before we go here, um, I kind of just want to mention that the Thorny Park investigation was fantastic. Really? Yeah, it was very interesting and a little eerie to be in Dorney Park way after hours where almost everything shut off and it's just completely silent. Because that place is so active during yeah. the there's music and games are going off and bells and whistles and people and cheering and rides and all stuff and all of a sudden you're there and almost everything's shut off and it's just quiet all you hear is bugs some ducks you hear (laughs) and maybe some ghosts and we actually did hear some ghosts i have to say for our listeners if you don't know what dorney park is Dorney Park is an amusement park in Pennsylvania here in the Lehigh Valley, and it's been around for over 150 years. It's an old park. They are celebrating their 138th season um, as an amusement park. Yeah. But the land and the history go back way further than that, because there's actually, there were houses on the property, there was stores, there was an inn, you know, so there's a lot of things that this land has been through with development and generations passing through. I mean, there's a house on the property up until the 90s. Yeah. That, you know, I believe it was right underneath, like, Thunderhawk. Yeah. You know, generations have passed through this place. So there's no telling how many spirits dwell there, but we did get 
actual responses from the spirits That's that cool. were there. Jordan was actually helping me listen for EVPs, and we were getting direct responses to what we were saying. Yeah. It's crazy. So Sophie was uh, with me uh, working some cameras, and she decided she was going to start taking some still images to see if she could capture any you know, images of spirits or orbs or anything like that. And she said, okay, I'm going to take your picture. And right after she says that, you hear a voice saying, take one. And it was really chilling wow. to, like, it's just, it's a direct response to what we were doing. Yeah. You know? It so was, there's, like, clear. Crystal clear. Crystal clear. Which there was no denying everyone it. will hear when the episode comes out. I'm currently working on it. Um, there's a lot of work to be done on it. But uh, it'll come out sometime beginning of October. And Dorney Park has a lot of urban legends, too. I mean, I remember my grandmother, who's passed 10 years ago, but her telling me stories of when she was a teenager at the park and some of the crazy stuff that happened to her there about this same thing. So it's really interesting to me to see, like, that the legacy continues, that there really is a pretty haunted park. Yeah, and for years, employees have been reporting seeing and hearing things at night. Yeah. And finally, um, they reached out to me and said, we got to investigate and Very see cool. if what they're saying is really true and see if, you know, if we can find anything. And we did. So it was, uh, it was very cool. And it's very cool to be at a place where I spent a lot of my childhood. You know, I was born and raised here in the Lehigh Valley, so I spent a lot of my childhood at Toy Park. And, you know, it's just very different to be in there for a very different situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Uh, join us next time. We'll get some answers on the... Stigmatized properties. Stigmatized properties, hauntings about properties for sale and murders that happen in houses. Yes. And... We'll go through what happened to Jordan and I at the uh, Weaversville Inn. So stay spooky. Stay creepy. Stay magical. Uh-huh.